Welcome to the Deep Print Movies podcast. My name is Stephen T. Hanley. I'm the founder of Deep Print Movies, and we're a pop-up cinema. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by writer-director Leo Lee. Leo and I have been friends for a few years, and I've been a big fan of his short films such as Mother and Rewind Britain. And finally... His debut movie is here. It's called Sweet Sue. It's one of our favorites of the year. It's about a middle-aged woman who is back on the dating scene, looking for love, who meets a mysterious biker. And it's out this week. I urge you to go see it. Leo and I spoke about the movie, British cinema, British TV, growing up with a video store, and lots more. Here's me and Leo Lee. This is the real deal. This is as good as it gets. Well, listen, it was great. It was great chatting, man. Oh, thanks, man. We'll see you in the year. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, thanks for the other night as well, man. I much appreciate it. That was a fun one. That was a fun one. The crowd really, it really hit with the crowd, I think. All the... Yeah, you know what? I I honestly, that was the best screening in terms of the energy in the room. Like, you know how you see people say the energy in the room and then then actually when you make a film... Oh, especially with a a comedy as well, when... uh when you can feel the beats hitting and obviously I've seen it before and I was like, wait till they fucking work out the relation, no spoilers for the relationship dynamics. Yeah. Yeah. Th- yeah that that really slapped. Like, Cause you know, when you like in the past I've made shorts and I'm like the shorts I've made, it's very like, you know, my main kind of thing was just like, no, not, not, not like gags, but just like, is it funny? Yeah. I think like this is a slight departure in the sense that, yeah, I mean, I'm hoping there are bits that are funny in it, but it's also kind of got a bit of, you know, a bit of um, bit of feeling in it. And there's a, it's a bit more about people's relationships than just about yeah. gap. Um, so I hope I hope that kind of um, translated for the audience. But I think it did. I think it, it did, did, it did. Everyone, everyone I spoke to really came away with real love and compassion for all the, all the mm-hmm. characters. Did I tell you about what happened in Rome when we were there at the festival? No. <laughs> this is easily the best, um, I don't know what you want to call it, but it was like the best reaction I've ever had. Yeah. Whereas in the, the film's called Sweet Sue, the program's got like the blurb about the film is very kind of like, could make it sound like it's a kind of quite kind of tender, sweet movie, which in some, in some moments it is, but let's yeah. face it, oh, it's like predominantly people being horrible to each other. And this, this like Italian woman came up to me. There was like a group of them and they'd obviously like seen the blurb and they were like excited to see the film. And she was like, oh, you know, we're so excited to see your film. It was like a real like warmth and like, you know, support for a film she hadn't even seen yet. And then we showed the film and it went down well and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then I saw her as we were like leaving the cinema and I was like, oh, hello, sweet Sue. And she just turned and she just gave me this look. Mm-hmm. On this, like, she, like basically just 
went into my soul and just like ripped my heart out with her eyes as if to say mm. you this is the, this film you've made is so fucking disgusting like how <laughs> dare you it was like it was amazing she was so offended in just the look she gave me i was like okay i was like wow was, yeah, it was amazing i mean this what is, element do you think really did her in I, I don't know. I, I can't explain. I think maybe I, I really don't know. But it, I, it was weirdly like I, I got a bit of a buzz out of it. That's <laughs> the reaction, like you know, whatever. Like it's just it was just a, the idea that someone was that um, you know reacted that badly to it. Kind of um, I don't know. Just the power of cinema. I got super excited. <laughs> That's like, well, didn't Bruce Robinson, he was paranoid that with Neil and I wasn't funny or wasn't going to land. And then they did a screening in London and it was just deathly silent for the whole fucking film. And he was like literally having a panic attack for the entire film. Then he found out afterwards, everyone was like, Dankeschön, Dankeschön. And he's like, wait, does any fucking one here speak English? And they were like, no, we just roped in a bunch of German exchange students because they had nothing to do for the day. And he oh. was like, why would you fucking put me through that? He was you like, realize, have you read the James Brown book, the load, you know, the guy that's they set up Loaded magazine? No, no, no. Like surprisingly amazing. Well, it's not surprisingly amazing. I knew it was going to be good, but because he's like, you know, he's an interesting guy, but he he's talking about that film and how, like he used to love that film, but like no one had seen it, and it was a very like cult underground thing. Yeah. And then I don't know if this is true, but I'm assuming it is because he says it in his book. But he like started putting screenings on of it and started bigging it up in his magazine. And then that's kind of like because I remember like when in the nineties, like we'd seen it, but it wasn't like it wasn't available. And then there was a period where it kind of came out. I kind of got re-released. I don't know if you remember that. I remember seeing. Sound, I remember seeing it posters for it in the video store. Yeah, but this is so dumb. But out of context, it's just those two guys on a hill somewhere, mm. and I, I I assumed it was a detective movie because Richard oh, Grant's got the Mac. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I I was like, this is just a couple of. Um, detective trying to you know solve a mur- murder of a dead body on a hill or something and then i saw it on channel four my brother said you need to watch this this is, this is the funniest film ever and i was like the detective one and he said they say cunt more more than any times i've heard it in a movie and i was like to the video store <laughs> to the video store, um I, no, I actually bought my 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 good friend there cautioning he's like you know it's like our favorite film and for a 40th i bought like an italian original poster mm-hmm. of it but in, in italy it's called like something like um my best friend's breakfast <laughs> and it's like a picture of them and it's got like a, it's got like a weird like illustration of like a full english breakfast on the or it might even be called full english it's some random like weird it's not called with now and i it's called like something breakfast and it's so weird and it's like on i bought this original um italian version of it uh, so is that the ralph Stedman? picture is it something no no it's some like it's some like dodgy (laughs) dodgy photo with like it's nothing to do with the original uh, artwork at all um it's actually a really shit poster but i just thought i mean it's originally great but this one wasn't great but um yeah i've not seen that film in a long time bruce robinson he went off and wrote like a 
800 page tome on Jack the Ripper. Oh, really? Yeah, like he spent like 10 years researching and similar to kind of a Zodiac killer. It was one of those ones where like, I really think I've, like everyone does when they write those books, like I really think I've cracked it with this one, guys. (laughs) Are we, is this it? Are we doing it? This is it, man. Did you ever go to the Kubrick archive at the... Yeah, that was incredible. But no, but you, well, oh, but not the exhibition. Oh, no, no, the, I did the exhibition. I haven't gone through the yeah, but archives you, 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 you at the UU. You um, Elephant Castle, you know, to, I don't know what it's called now, LCC, LP, I don't know, whatever. The London College of Communication, I suppose it's called now. But yeah, you go down and you've got to put some white gloves on, you sit at a table and they bring out, I don't know, it's not all of his, that's not all of the stuff because it's much more of it. But like, yeah, you've got like original letters that he wrote to Peter Sellers and, like the, the the map paintings from 2001. And you're sitting there just like, whoa, this is like, it's amazing. Oh, I need to do that. Why haven't I done that? Yeah, it's really, really cool. I like the documentary John Ronson did on, uh, have you seen that one where he's doing the one on, where they're archiving up all the... Yeah, the boxes. Uh, yeah. yeah. Kubrick's boxes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good doc. Yeah, so, that, so that's essentially... What went into the archive? Yeah, but not all of it, just like a, a, a fraction of it. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Really cool. Did you hear the Nicole Kidman story about Eyes Wide Shut, where she was in that in the house, and he he had her on call to like you know, if you're not you're not going to be working like today, but just or maybe even tomorrow or next week, but I just want you there just in case I need you. Right. And so she was like, you know, fucking two weeks went by or something. She was like, I'm just going to go to France the day. She goes to like Paris, she comes back, no one says anything. She's like, okay. And she's like, another couple of days. And then after a while, she got a bit cocky. She went to Australia. <laughs> and then like, he's like, calls her and she's like, oh, hey, hey, Stanley. And he's like, well, where are you? And she's like, well, I'm here at the house. And he's like, okay, well, I want you in today. She's like, well, and he's like, you're in Australia, aren't you? And she's like, oh, <laughs> and then like, she came back and then she didn't work for like another three weeks or something. I'll probably bodge that story up a bit, but that's that's the the, the bones, you know, the nuts and bolts of it. That's absolutely insane. What's your uh, favorite favorite film? Barry Lyndon, and then the more and more I watch Eyes Wide Shut and think about all those bizarre fucking scenes, and mm-hmm. it 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 becomes a close second. But then the the shining's so great, but it's almost, I don't know, it's like something like, there's probably a term for it, but you know, like smells like teen spirit or things that you just, you see, it's so fucking ubiquitous. It's so everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so steeped in the pop culture and your brain that you can't really yeah, almost yeah, take like, a step back and kind of I wish I yeah. could reset and just, but that's obviously got incredible moments, but yeah, eyes wide shut and Barry Lyndon. Top but when, when I was younger, we got, um, we got a copy of Clockwork Orange, like before you could get it, because you know how it was like you couldn't get it. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure somebody could get it, but like we're in the nineties. No, I had, to, I had to get a tenth generation pirate copy. Yeah, yeah, but we just got a copy of it, and um, <clears throat> it was like a Friday night, you know, whatever, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, uh, roughly, and people coming over to smoke weed, and you'd sit around and put this film on, and people would just be like oh this is fucking nasty what is this is well weird and then like and then all of a sudden they'd get well into it and you just i mean you just used to watch that film like just on loop 
it's just you know crazy film when you're a kid it is i I remember when i used to get when i first got texas chainsaw massacre Mm. and just thought it was going to be a fucking you know slasher schlock blood fest yeah and then it's just so it gets so fucking under your skin it's so fucking slow and horrible yeah, that's so, what part two is kind of what you think it was going to be, but mm. similar to Clockwork Orange, when you heard this film is so crazy that you had to ban it in the UK because he was scared that it was going to, you know, incite teenagers murdering homeless people across there. Yeah, well, he didn't want to be responsible, right? Yeah, the press, the British press, as always, kind of. He's just like the whole like Mary Whitehouse video nasty thing. Yeah, an absolute joke. It's like you know the 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 idea of like all these guys, these like stuffy, kind of grey suit wearing, pasty weirdos sat in an office watching like Driller Killer and you know Cannibal Holocaust and that, and then having to like burn like all these tapes. Yeah, just pain to me, man. Like that we were the only country that had that censorship. Yeah, I I love the idea that that they just be available in petrol stations and stuff like that. In the yeah. in, when VHS first kind of blew up and nobody really knew how impactful it would be, and there was just like tapes and fucking news agents and stuff like that. Yeah, well, that's so, what that's what's like so amazing about the fact that you could you know you can take a space on High Street. Yeah, all you've got to do is put some shelves up. And then you've got like an amazing business because you've got all this amazing artwork on the walls. Yeah. These huge, beautiful, big puffy boxes with all these crazy shit on the walls. Yeah. Like you've just got an amazing business. And it's like, and you know, like, I remember like, um, like our video shop was run by this guy called Nick, this um, Cypriot guy called Nick Dimitri and called Nick's videos. And like we, he was like the whole thing with that is you go you'd go around to get like the paper from my dad or whatever, take the dog around there and and he you'd go in and you'd never ever say no to anything you rented. Amazing. Even like even when I was a really little kid. So I was getting like Freddy, you know, the running man, Predator, all those movies, all the horror stuff, you know, like American Ninja One, Two, Three, Four, and Five. Like you know, all these weird like movies and like the Ghoulies and Critters and just like these all these eighteen movies, but they, they were like kids movies and you know I, I even look at those I still think they're kids movies those do you know what I mean like in a sense that it's not like he's he was renting us you know like um, some dodgy kind of dark like Deliverance or something you know what yeah. I mean like it was more like kind of high octane American trashy kind mm-hmm. of. Movie. And so, yeah, he would just rent us anything. And so I, I, that, you know, and I, we, me and my brother tracked him down, like, I don't know, maybe more than, over 10 years ago. And, like, he was like, oh, I remember you guys. I remember you guys. And, like, we sat with him in the Greek Cypriot Centre on my old road in Wood Green and had a coffee. And we were like, we want to, like, recreate your video shop. And we, we want to do this whole like, exhibition. And he was like, we went, up, we went back to his house and we went into his loft and he had all the old stock. Oh, my God. Anyway, he didn't have all of it, but he had, he had a lot of it. And he had, like, the laminating machine that he used to, like, make the original cards. And he put oh. it... We were sat with his family in his kitchen, and he was like... I mean, we hadn't seen this guy since, like, the late 80s or something, early 90s. 
So he was like, he revved this machine up. <laughs> it's like the laminating machine still worked. And like, we spent like a whole day with him and he was telling us how he came to London from Cyprus, set up a news agency and then was like, had a few videos, but everyone was just like renting the videos. And then he decided to just go, just go video. And it'd be like a guy would come around with a wallet every month or whatever with the catalogue of all the films. Mm-hmm. And you'd say, oh, I want that one and that one. And he'd, and he'd come back with a, with a box and give you the tapes. And like, he was just, he was just saying how, how much of an amazing business it was for people. And then obviously the government with little Mary Whitehouse just fucked it up for them. It's, like, it's a shame. But yeah, he, he that was an amazing um, film education, his place. The fact that there was no censorship. Was there any censorship in your house as to what you watch? No, not at all. The same. It was almost the same, but just like a different set of films. But we had in our house up the wall, up on the stairs, it was just like the whole wall was films, but they were all recorded from the television and they were all handwritten labels. So, I mean, we had a few uh, bought films, maybe like three or four, but they were all recorded from the telly so we had like who's recording everyone like you your brothers your dad yeah, and stuff, i'd say my dad mostly but yeah we were also doing it but so it'd be like obviously he he's like watching films so i'm sitting watching films with him so i remember watching like fitz Corraldo and then the burden of dreams because that was on TV and he was obviously well into that. So he, he was like, you should, so this film about a guy getting a boat over a mountain and they actually did it. you got to come and watch it. And I'd be sitting there like, wow, this is mental. And then watching like, you know, Klaus Kinski going mental and shouting on this hill. It was like, so yeah. And then we had like um, all the Keaton, Buster Keaton stuff, Chaplin stuff. We still love all that. And then we had like, they did a season in the 90s of all the Jackie Chan stuff. So like Police Story and yeah. you know, Project A. Like we, you know, and so, and like the Better Tomorrow films. I don't know if you remember those. Of course, yeah. Oh, yeah, so we were like, so it was like this kind of massive. And then we had all the other, you know, we had all the kind of Hollywoody, like we had all the great kind of Spielberg and Gremlins and all that and whatever, Indiana Jones. But yeah, it was just that kind of, a mega mix. So between like our like video war and then Nick's, it was like a pretty good. That's a perfect mix. Yeah, it was it was amazing. Yeah, um, but also the other thing which I'm really kind of into is like, you know, we we had like so like the network premiere of Star Wars like when it was on TV. Yeah, who actually got, and um, like the ads in between films, like now. So so when I watch Star Wars now. My in in my like system in my brain is this thing of like, do you know the bit where Vader goes to Princess Leia and she's in the prison cell thing? Yeah, like that kind of ball thing with a needle coming towards her or whatever. <laughs> this is when it... at that moment, at that moment, an ad comes in. What was it for? Like fucking Tesco or something? Or no, no, it was like it was a um uh, like chocolate mint advert. <laughs> So every time I'm watching it, I'm like, it, I'm like, here comes the cut, it comes the chocolate mint, but it, it, it never comes. But um, 
So yeah, like so I used to, I, I used to always watch the ads, and then the ones I didn't like, I fast forward through the shit ads, and then oh yeah, it's this one. This is a great ad. And then we watched, we watched like a Kellogg's ad where a guy's like riding a bike through a paper um, logo, and it was like Whoa, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was well into the ads as well. It's weird. That kind of adds up from no pun from when I you you you've you've got loads of weird adverts on your um Instagram. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love like old weird British ads, definitely. I like do you remember um the Heineken one, the water in Majorca don't taste like what it was? Yeah. And um did we used to we used to quote that all the time when I was a kid. But but the actress in that is Sylvestra, and she is the little girl in The Boy from Space. Do you remember the Boy from Space, the BBC um, yes. education program? Yeah, I do. I do. Wait, I know that because I've met her a few times. Like, you know, I don't say I know her, but I mean, and yeah. I, oh my god, you know, I used to. It's weird because I, you know, I used to watch it in Boy from Space because the Boy from Space was made in the sixties, but they repeated it all the way through into the eighties. Right, like I'm trying to think. Early seventies. Wait, am I getting this confused with Chalky? Chalky was fucking creepy as hell. Do you remember Chalky? Yeah, that was, yeah, 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 yeah. No, this was like um, a look and read. It was that thing of like you know like magic e and all that and then yeah you yeah had, yeah the, the thing was like these two kids this little weird creepy kid with like silver skin and like silver hair and a blue suit is coming towards him in this field and then they like adopt him and they realize he's from space and then he's and then there's like spelling things you've got you know and you've got like a little exercise book yeah with with the with the program you kind of go you have to spell words and so I used to watch this in school when, you know, remember like they used to wheel that big TV in. Oh yeah. Best day of the fucking year when that yeah. shit came in. Yeah. 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 So when the TV came in, you're like, yes, it's like time, you know, it's boy from space time. And then later there was, um, um, through the dragon's eye. Do you remember that one? That was amazing. Yeah. That, that was that really one, cool. The guy with the cricket bat. Um, but yeah, like I love all that, that kind of, um, old British, I mean, I love American TV, but like the British stuff, I don't know why, but it always, I don't know. Like that, have you seen that, um, that dark and lonely water advert about no. don't, don't drown in the water? It's the creepiest thing I've ever seen. You must have seen that. a guy with a hood probably... and he stood like under a tree and there's these little kids like playing by the water. And his voice is like, don't go down by the water. And it's like, oh, it's, always, oh like it's, it's like a hot, it's like, it looks like some kind of like Nick Rogue kind of. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. But that, I mean, that was like in the 70s, but you should, I think that might even be on like the BFI player. The safety ads. Yeah. That, that one. Yeah. Like there's a guy, there's a guy on um, Instagram that makes like Christmas decorations <laughs> of like Pender's Fen and. Yeah weird creepy stuff and he made one of that so it's the got the hooded guy and i've got it on my christmas tree at the moment oh that's fucking amazing I need to, but like yeah. Bobby and, um but yeah no it's yeah so that all that kind of watching all those tapes with um with all the ads as well like there's that not there's like maybe i don't know like a very small fraction of those tapes still exist um so I'm going to maybe start digitizing all of the ads. <laughs> i got nothing better to do in my time.
This episode is brought to you by our friends at Mubi. Mubi is a great streaming service dedicated to elevating great cinema. I've been a Mubi subscriber for years and I'm going to give you three of my favorites from the Mubi UK platform. Okay, let me have a look. Number one, Gone Girl by David Fincher. Okay, this is weird, but I am obsessed with the first 90 minutes of this movie until it gets crazy. If you've seen it, you, you know what I mean. I don't know what it is. There's something about the vibe and the kind of cold, eerie atmosphere of this movie. I put it on all the time when I'm working. So do that. Hopefully you'll fall in love with it and that weird glacial vibe that it's got as well. Okay, this is amazing. Mubi has bought a lot of the Shaw Brothers catalog. Shaw Brothers started in the 60s. Four brothers who started making martial arts movies across Southeast Asia. Okay, so Kung Fu... When I was a teenager, 18, 19, I discovered Wu-Tang Clan... I was obsessed with Kung Fu movies and Wu-Tan always used Kung Fu movie samples and I'd always try and find the movies that the samples were from because I'm a geek. So 36 Chambers of Shaolin, that's a classic. I love that movie where he's learning to be a Kung Fu master and he has to go through all 36 chambers of the academy to become a master. That's a great one. So start there and dig in. Holy crap, there's loads. Five Deadly Venoms. I know that one is referenced by Tarantino. That's all I've seen. Okay, there's like one, three, six, nine. There's over 12 movies. So dig into those over the festive period. Okay, and my final one. I want to pick Blue Steel by Catherine Bigelow starring Jamie Lee Curtis as a rookie cop who gets suspended from duty after a first day and she finds herself the object of desire for a serial killer played by the absolutely creepy Ron Silver. This is great erotic thriller, 90s crime drama. They just don't make him like this anymore. So Blue Steel, not to be confused with the Zoolander fashion face if you know what I mean. Okay, that's it from me. And the good news is you can watch all these movies and more for 30 days for free. Just go to movie.com slash deeper into movies. Watch my recommendations and watch a ton more. There's always loads of great stuff to watch on the movie platform. Golden age, right? You should check this guy out. You go to his, he lives in, um, forget where he lives now, but he has this huge, um, like, warehouse 
kind of right on his land next to his house in the countryside. Oh, right. No, I'm, I'm thinking Colin, video 99. Colin, yeah, yeah, yeah. But so he, so they, those guys know each other. Oh. And so when we were making Rewind Britain, I was like, we wanted to film on an original tube camera, right? And so this guy, he is the guy that supplies all original equipment to film and TV, but he's got it on lockdown. Like no one else really has what he has. Yeah. And so he's saying this to him on the phone. He's like, well, yeah, you need to come here to, to see it for yourself because I can't, can't do it justice. <laughs> so we go down there and I went with um, Christoph who shot Rio on Britain and you go into his house, he lives in this little cottage, right? Makes us some tea. And then we go across this almost like a farm into this massive warehouse that he's got. And he's got like two original uh, broadcast trucks from the 50s. He's got like VHS cameras. He's got 60 mil cameras. He's got original monitors, original TVs. He's got TV broadcast cameras from like TV studios. Like when they did that film with Tom Hanks um, about... uh, What's his name? The children's entertainer um, from the seventies. Oh, a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Uh, yeah, Fred Rogers. Yeah, yeah, Mr. Rogers. Yeah. So yeah. he supplied like all of the cameras for that. So he's got like so when you see that film, the footage of the actual like TV studio yeah. stuff is like actually those cameras. So he went to LA and had to like maintain those cameras. Whoa! And he you go you go in there and he, he's even got an original tele cine machine that you used to take 60 mil and get get it ready for British TV broadcast. Which no, he's, he says he's the only one in the country. So we, me and Christopher are standing there like, wow, man, this guy is like, you know. Um, but if you ever get the chance, I don't, I don't think you can go there unless you're renting some stuff off him. But um, And he got like super angry because he was like, because I know what will happen. I was like, okay, I'm going to rent you this. I'm going to rent you this camera. You're going to you're going to drive off, and then what's going to happen is next week when you're shooting, I'm going to get a call from someone, and they're going to say, "Our oh, camera's broken. Can you help us?" And I was like, "No, no, no, it's fine. That's not going to happen." He goes, "No, yeah, yeah. You say that, but I guarantee you, <laughs> give me a call, whinging about camera not working." And I was like, "Oh, whatever." So then we we got on set, and we were filming, and then the camera did stop, started oh playing my up. God. Someone was like, well, I'll just call so-and-so from Golden Age. And I was like, uh, I, was like <laughs> I heard him down the phone. He's going, he's going, oh, I knew this would happen. Yeah, well, I knew this would happen. <laughs> you know, and all this. What's that fucking hell, man? But, um, but yeah, that camera is amazing. That tube camera we shot with. It was a Dude, pretty... I, I bought one on eBay. Oh, yeah. And then I completely forgot that you told me that it was... A broadcast camera. There's no VHS. I thought I, I somewhere in my head I thought was, there was there was a VHS component. No, no. What it is is you have the camera and then it, the, a, a lead goes down into a VHS pack, which is the strap like that she has in the in the. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. So you have, but then what we did is you, you you can actually bypass that completely and you can put in a digital recorder. So you go so. Normally, like when you see that footage, it's kind of like being one generation VHS. Yeah. What you can do is you can go from the tube camera directly into digital. So it has this old school look. It's very clean. Right. Oh, I need to do that. It looks mad. It almost looks like kind of completely, you know, like an authentic 
look as it is, but it's just hasn't got a VHS. I mean, we ran the whole film to VHS anyway, so it means fucking nothing. But um, yeah, I don't know why we did that really. <laughs> My editor Paco was like, you know, have you because we shot all of it on sixteen apart from that tube camera stuff, right? It looks amazing. It looks like really beautiful. And then because like the whole point is going back to those like watching, you know, those ads, you know, in between films. And I was yeah. a kid. The idea was that like it's as if it had been recorded from television. That's why at the beginning there's like a little, you know, a little announcement and stuff. And we wanted to, the whole idea of that film was that I wanted it to be a series and uh, you'd have ad, you'd have fake ads in between all of the British like ads for like yeah kind of Oxo Cube type things. You'd make up products and have it, you know. So we pitched it, but like everyone was like, "No, no way! <laughs> this is like the worst idea ever." But I had like I've got like loads of episodes that like, all planned out. Um, we had like a we had like a football dad Sunday. You know, he takes his kids and he's filming, and then he's like he becomes obsessed with the referee because like the referee made a bad decision about his eight year old. So he starts stalking this ref with his, with his camera. And it's like all these other episodes and um, people were just like, what are you going on about? But it's a shame because that would have been a good, good show to do. But How, how do you handle and dust yourself off from these kind of am- amazing and brilliant and strange ideas that you're, pitching and no one's getting or backing or willing to for the necessary budgets and stuff just drink (laughs) i don't know i mean it's just like you know the thing is you you end up making all these treatments and like it's really i'm not the thing about it is you you know it's it's that you know the episode in seinfeld where they pitched in the show yeah the guy you know why Why do people want to watch the show? And George says, because it's on TV. And yeah. he said, it's not yet, it isn't. And you're yeah. like, it's like, you know that if you make something, like someone will like it. I, yes. Just by the sort of averages. Like if I'm into it, then obviously it's got to be someone that's into it. For sure. So you kind of know it'll work on some level. And if it's on TV, people will watch it because if it's blah, blah, blah. So you kind of know that. And, it's, but, and you think, yeah, hey, I've got these ideas. And then we've got like a real strong aesthetic and they they've all got a style and i can mm-hmm. imagine what factors we were getting them and so you've got all these ideas and you're really you're really pumped and then um and then you know for whatever reason it's just not quite the thing that mm-hmm. you want to make or and then maybe you don't take it to enough people and then like it loses momentum and so anyway you just gotta kind of just move on to the next thing you know i've got like so I kind of write up stuff, ideas, and get some images together, and I work with someone to like help me put it together because you know, not always, but sometimes, to get it really tight. And um, and you know, you spend ages finessing this treatment, and I've still got them. I've got I've got like a folder on my Dropbox like treatments. It's like you know, and you know, you can you know, it's not like you, it's not like they don't exist. You can still kind of potentially make them one day, mm. but. Um, but yeah, you just got to keep firing out the ideas. And then, you know, like with the Sweet Sue, you know, that took us so long to get the money for that. It was like, I, I genuinely didn't think we'd ever make it. And Scott, um, I've got Scott and Andy, two producers, but at the time I was only working with Scott. And it was like, 
I think it's time to move on, you know, like just think it's time to try and get something else off the ground. And he said, look, let's just try one more, like try it one more time. Mm -hmm. Brought in Andy, who's like Andy Brunskill, who's like the kind of master at figuring out how you can kind of get gap funding. Yeah. And he's, he's a, a, they're both like, massively creative as producers but at the same time he's got this kind of ability to kind of understand how you can get those little bits to kind of make up the the amount you need and it was off the back of that because we had money from bbc and then boom we just like oh my god we're actually making this thing and like we had to make cuts and reduce the script because it was you know too big for the budget we had but um yeah it was kind of you realize that like a good idea isn't always the thing is sometimes you do need someone to get that those little bits of money to set you know push you over the line mm-hmm. um because it was yeah the frustrating thing about it is we had the money from bbc films for like years literally years because evie yates was like you know massive champion of the film and she was like how's it going you know she she you know she was putting out calls and we were she was like massively helpful, but there's only a certain amount she can do, you know, because it's like, so it's frustrating because you have that money there, but you need to get mm-hmm. other bits to make the thing happen. So, um, you know, so I know people now that are like, they've got a certain amount of money, but they can't make it with that. They have to have the other bit in order to. Mm-hmm. Fuck, that's frustrating. I mean, I was really lucky because coming off the back of documentaries, that was really an amazing time because I was and I was employed by a guy called Russell at a, co- a company called Udocs, and I'd go, I'd go between that company and Vice and make just films. And then never Russ Russell essentially was like, "Look, I'm going to set up this internet TV channel," and me and my friend just kind of ran that. And the whole thing was, you can kind of make whatever you want. And we'll pay you a way to just kind of do whatever. So we were making all these like weird little docs, short films, and just like ligging around with the camera. And like it was amazing to do that because it was just taught us how to edit, taught me about cuts, taught me about, you know, what shots mean in, you know, when you're shooting docs. And then Doug did stuff with Andy Capper at Vice. And then when I was like, well, I've got to make a short now, you know, like fiction. Mm-hmm. I just didn't even know where to start with that in terms of getting money. I was like completely clear. I was like, had like meetings with people, but I just was like, it seemed like such an impossible thing to penetrate. And then Jesse Pearson, who you know. Yeah, big shouts to Jesse. Yeah, amazing. I mean, I do owe that guy a lot because he started working for that company. Um, Super, Super Deluxe. Deluxe. Yeah, which yeah. doesn't exist. They're all part of... Um, Adult Swim, and I'd just written a film which was his mother, and he emailed me. He said, "Hey man, like I've you know I've just started working with this new company. Like you got short," and I sent him that, and he was like, "Oh man, we just got to make this." And he didn't like he didn't give me any notes on the script at all. He just said, "You should just make that." Gave us a budget, we shot it, edited it. He was like, it's it's great. Didn't, he literally didn't he didn't get involved in, in terms of like, I mean, he was there 
creatively, but it didn't start like getting in, in the way essentially. Mm-hmm. Is what and um, that is the film that really like helped get this film made because it gives you something to talk about. And I, I, I was going for meetings with like no film. Like, I mean, I've done mm-hmm. documentaries, but it's really hard because they're like, well, we don't really know what your style is because yeah. of what. Whereas when, when it's like that, it's like, oh, okay, so that's the thing, you know? And I was like, yeah, it's, you know, that's the thing. And that's when I first met Eva off the back of that, you know? And so, it, you know, for him to have just like completely let me go and do that without any, any compromise was the key to getting this film made, I'd say. I knew Jesse as the editor of Vice, but then I mm. remember when we were talking about Vice TV and I was like, you know what show I loved? guitar moves with matt sweeney where it's just him oh, meeting yeah. up with legendary guitar players and it it, it it's no it's, it's the first show i've seen that's not like a guitar bro like let me show you how to solo and stuff and he's just kind of organically mm. talking about how they started playing or what kind of guitars they vibe with and learning stuff and jesse was like yeah i, I invented that show and then it was it was the same with soft focus which i think is the best music show ever yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, but it's so funny because I was telling you when I was talking about the show I want to make, I was like, I kind of want to have my intro like the scene in the beginning of Soft Focus where Ian's wandering around mm. and I think he's feeding the birds or something. Or I, shot, I, I shot all that. Yeah, and you were like, that's, yeah, I shot that. And that was your reference to the Beatles. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, it was in um, Hard Day's Night when Ringo's down on the, he's on his own, like kind of. Yeah. Like, you know, all miserable and stuff. So we were we were filming around London for the intro. Like we'd shot like all of the all the interviews for like yeah. however, and then it was just me, Ian, Jesse, and Andy just kind of like ligging around London trying to get these like intro shots. And I was like, oh, you know that bit in yeah. you know, Five Days Night with Ringo. And Ian was like, oh yeah, I love that bit. So yeah, that was that was that was where I met Jesse, and actually I met Andy then too. But um. My favorite one of those is with um, Marky Smith. Oh, that's incredible! That, that one, the, the, you know what? There's it, the, the the better one is actually the one they did. Um, I think it was called like, the Masters series or whatever. With John Doran. Yeah, yeah, I, that's actually a funnier interview because he's yeah. he's talking about um, Twilight. Yeah, yeah, and he's going on about like vampirism is a crime at the end of the day. I'm yeah, like, yeah, he has this weird reflection. It's like it's fucking illegal, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like what he's like well, yeah, biting yeah. people's necks and drinking blood it's not right and it's like yeah. he's amazing <laughs> i love he's that he had that revelation like have you ever seen him um in that long long interview in uh i think it's the green man festival no looking about they're like what do you think about the um the stone roses at heating park and then they say to him, have you ever seen a ghost? He went, yeah, yeah I saw a monk in Heaton Park. <laughs> and, like, and he went, yeah, well, since the Stone Roses played there, I don't think that monk's come back, if I'm honest. <laughs> I'm like, fucking, he's just like got an absolute ability to... It's like, it's like he's an untouchable character. I was an untouchable character in the sense that you can't... You know, you just can't kind of, like, get him in any way. Like, because he's he's a very confrontational character, but there's not so much you can kind of do to... I mean, when we filmed him, he, he turned up and he was like snorting these like massive lines of speed, like just before. And then he came in and he was just drinking the Stella, and he was talking about um, Gene Simmons going around. There was a TV documentary where 
Gene Simmons was like School of Rock kind of thing. Rock School, going, yeah, yeah. I bought that on DVD in a charity shop just the other month. Yeah, so there you go. So, <laughs> so he's going like, um, he's like, yeah, well, there's some kid trying to do fucking algebra. And like, he's like, <laughs> oh, you come on, you got to play rock and roll. The kid's like, I don't want to. I just want to learn maths. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's hilarious. He's just a funny dude, man. did you think you wanted to become a filmmaker whereas obviously film is in your family but when was the age you thought i want to i want to do this um i just it's a tough one i don't really i can't really i wasn't like a moment where like kind of um woke up one morning and you know i mean i just it, i suppose yeah it was the kind of it felt like it was a thing you could just do based on you know obviously what my dad does but um I think it was more actually if I'm honest it was more just like I, I was so and still am like so obsessed with watching films yeah so just like really that's all I did I mean I was just like would sit for hours and watch films and you know um and like we so like we had like a camera that like I probably just ended up shooting kind of weird stuff um with but um when I really got serious about it, it was probably at uni. Cause I was just, was just kind of floating around doing a bit of, you know, photography. Like I did all kinds of stuff. It wasn't just, you know, even though mm-hmm. I was obsessed. And then at uni, when I left uni, like because I didn't really spend the whole time there, I just I left like after a year. But all my friends, like I kind of hung around in in still in, in the in the town and stuff and um just had like some job in london would come back to to farnham where the thing is where the uni was and friend of mine because i was like around to do stuff so i was like Mm -hmm. filming my other mates films because i was just a cameraman and then that kind of carried on when i left uni i just started like shooting stuff you know like in kind of 2004 five there was all these like little companies doing like you know, viral content or, yeah. you know, so I ended up doing a lot of that for years. I was, so that kind of just morphed into documentary stuff. And then, but it was always like making drama seemed like weirdly like an untouchable thing. Mm-hmm. I just didn't, honestly didn't know how to penetrate that world. I just didn't know how to get into that world. Cause it just seemed like I was so in a self shooting culture you just yeah. pick up the camera and you just kind of you know i was like doing jobs where like you go down to like a shopping center and you have to fit film somebody handing out like a little drink you know what i mean yeah. those like rubbish money jobs and then in between that you know doing little doco stuff so i don't know really yeah it was just kind of like a gradual thing um I always wanted to make films, but it just it honestly just felt like something that, because now like cameras are, you know, 
like there was a there was a very much a difference between like a DV camera, yeah, sixty mil thirty five, yeah. Know? Whereas now that's that that whole it's very much the the the, the divide is is much less. So you could make yeah. like a film look pretty amazing on on a small quite cheap camera. So there was like a huge leap to try and like oh when could we ever shoot on thirty five? Yeah, for or, sure. Um, what made you the, What made you quit uni? Uh, or did well, you have like a plan B, or was there something that made you say "fuck this"? No, no, no. It was more, no, it was more just like the thought. I found the whole place just like a really sterile, kind of corporate, shitty place. Mm. There was like art university with filmmakers and painters and photographers. Yeah, it looked like it was like very sterile, pretty unimaginative. Mm. So I was, I ended up just kind of like, you know, like, and then me and my friend got like, he got barred from the student union. What'd you do? Just, just, just general, just silly nonsense. Right. And then we were like, well, we can't go anywhere. So we, we started putting on our own like parties, like mm. kind of crazy in like, the woods and stuff. And that was a lot of fun. But then it was like, I kind of ended up just kind of doing that more than anything else. And then I just thought, well, and then they sent me a letter saying you haven't passed. So I was like, well, there's no point in carrying on because it's mm. just But then I ended up doing more work because I wasn't there, actually. Like I, you know, I was using the equipment in there, you know, that you could hire out. There was a studio that I that we used to make um there was this there was a company on in Farnham that you could like give them a tape and they they um get your film and they'd print it onto like 20 or 30 VHS at one on one hit on this machine. I mean, yeah. What we used to do is make like the flyer for the club night. We'd make it onto tape. So we'd have, we'd make a little film of like this character, like talking and the, he went on this like mad adventure. It was like, do you ever see the films that the beta band made? Yeah. 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 It's like I was massively into those films. Like when I used to go and see the beta band, they always used to play these really low fi mm. slightly kind of movies so we were like it was kind of like that style well I, at least i thought it was probably wasn't at all but um it's definitely not as good as those but it was that kind of vibe and so then we would post those kind of vhs flyers through all the student halls so that's how so we did so we got i got really obsessed with that and i sort of kind of like just thought well we'll just keep doing that because you know it was, it was just more interesting and then yeah and then so i ended up like when we were shooting one of the um one of like the ads or whatever it was, we were in this studio and like my mate was in like a shopping trolley and the security guard from the uni was like pretending to push him on a green screen. And then we filmed like in the supermarket, we filmed like down the aisles and then like comped that in. So he looks mm. like he's and he's talking to the camera and stuff. And I got a call from the uni, right? So the oh. upstairs, like the faculty or whatever, yeah. and they were like they do this call to like ask you whether or not you're kind of doing okay. Because <laughs> they've kicked you out or not kicked you out, but they've told you you can't continue. And I was like, you know what? Ever since you sent me that letter, I've just decided that I've packed in filmmaking and I'm mm. just, I can't do it anymore. And they were like, oh, and I was like, yeah, I can't. I just can't even speak to you right now. And then I was like, right, actually, <laughs> <I made laughs> I'm downstairs in their studio. Just, <laughs> it's pretty ridiculous. But um, yeah, so 
I don't know really. Yeah, I've always kind of been interested in it, but I don't know when the moment was. And how did you find work after uni? Yeah, we just we just ended up like we worked for this um, small production. No, I don't even know what it was. It was like a production company in Brixton. That was called now. And we would shoot like um, like if if there was like a. A billboard with a, an ad on it you get to go and film the different billboards or you'd film an event then we worked for this other company where as i say we me and my friends that i live with um we shot like nhs conferences in manchester and corporate events and it was just all that kind of stuff and like we shot this thing for um uh chicken raiders what the f- what's chicken raiders sounds chicken great raiders is like this instant like will make you like live less time with each bite right it's like bernard matthews kind of thing worse. Chi- okay <laughs> like the worst it was like really bad anyway we would just shoot these things and it was like you know we gotta go and film these guys in chicken outfits like up and down the country and then like fighting in the street and then you get vox pops it's like just you know all that kind of stuff and we just did that for years and then lucky enough to start working for that company, Udocs, where then I actually started making actual films mm-hmm. and then Vice and then, you know, but yeah, it was just like a long time of just filming absolutely. But what's the time span between Chicken Raiders and like Swans- Swansea, is it Swansea uh, Love Story, the heroin documentary? Yeah, Swansea Love Story, yeah. Swansea Love uh, Story, yeah. Few years. Swansea- right. Right, yeah. But it was just like, you know, you, when, you, when you get in with the company, a small company, and they're like, can, can you go to Birmingham on Monday and film, you know, a, a stand in the shopping centre? And it's like, whatever, you go pick up a camera, you get on the train, you, do, you know, it's like, um, so yeah, I was just doing that for so long, all that kind of stuff. But then, yeah, and then, and then, yeah, me and Andy, the first one we made was the, was the Blackpool um, doc which was um, just us in Blackpool filming uh, different characters. That was an exciting time from, well, from the outside, at least. I thought that was a really exciting time in um, digital age content where Vice were making those really weird documentaries and stuff like the the one well, yeah. where Shane went to Russia to see the, when he went to the Chernobyl area to see the levels of radiation. Oh, yeah. That was fucking crazy. Yeah, that seems to. Yeah, I mean, I was, if I'm honest, I was never massively into like all that kind of stuff. But, um, like, yeah, I, I, my my relationship with that company was a bit weird because I, I didn't, I just used to kind of go in and like very sheepishly just kind of sit in. I didn't, you know, it's open planned offices, the whole thing's a nightmare. But you, you, we, we were lucky because it was like, the, I think it was called VBS then, but it was yeah. like the, be- the beginning before it all turned into we are the best company on earth. It was just like they had like one camera under a desk with a battery that didn't quite fit. Um, <laughs> but we were just like, let's go make a film in Blackpool. And this yeah. is the anyone. We literally got into a car and just drove to Blackpool and made a film, and then that was that. And the same with the other two, um, Swansea Love Story and Beautiful Liverpool. There was I don't remember ever pitching it to anyone. We just we just went and did it, and we just made it up as we went along. So there was that in that respect, it was really good because it was funny enough. Like the last time 
I went in there, um, I was like, I've been to like these crop circle conventions and you've got all these guys and like my, one of my dad's really old friends was this amazing guy called Michael Glickman. And he's like, he's, he's, he's passed away since like since then, but his whole thing was like, he was like an expert in crop circles mm-hmm. and other people saying, oh, we make them other people saying they're not, you know, no one who, no one knows who's made them. And there's all these different like weird arguments between all these different characters but at the centre of it are all these pretty amazing pieces of art in fields. And so it was just funny to me that, like, you had all these, like, weird arguments going on in the countryside every summer. Anyway, so I had all these, like, amazing characters that I could have interviewed, and I went in to um, pitch it to Vice because mm-hmm. all of a sudden I had to, like, you know, I wasn't allowed to just go and do it. after Even after we'd made those three films, I had to, like, go in and... I wasn't even with someone that I knew. It was like some young, uh, some young girl, and she was like, "So I was, you know, this is the film I want to make." She said, "Right, you know, there's a thing we do here, and I don't know if you know about this." And I was like, oh, "What's that?" She was like, "This is a thing called cutaways," and I was like, <laughs> "I was like, okay, well, sorry, what?" She was like, "Yeah, so like, I don't know, like when you're like filming something, right? What you do, yeah, is if like." you see something in the room that like feels like it's like, you know, relevant to what they're saying that you shoot it. And then it means that like, if you want to cut the interview up, you can kind of like cut to it. And that's why it's called a cutaway. <laughs> so I was like, listen, right. I'm out of here, man. This is just like, <laughs> I was like, I didn't even respond to it. I was like, wow. Okay. That's good advice. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's, no, it's, no, to, be, to be fair, it's good advice. Yeah. That's so fucking strange. So, I was like, Okay, it's like it was bizarre. Um, but then I so I set all the interviews up and they were like, Yeah, you can make that film. And then I was almost went to, like started to make it, and then they were like, Yeah, we don't want to make it anymore. Not enough cutaways, and then yeah, not enough cutaways. Yeah, and then <laughs> um, and then they made it anyway. No, yeah, they went and made it with a presenter. Oh, so, fuck's sake, yeah. Um, but yeah, I should have, I should have listened to them and just should have i should have accepted the cutaway challenge yeah it was interesting when that when swansea love story came out because everyone it seemed like everyone was really into it yeah kind of over time not was not that there was like one one guy was like suggesting that we'd like paid people to take heroin which like fucking hell seriously fucking upset me man because it's like couldn't have been further from the truth it was like really hard to make that film in terms of yeah, I, w- I was watching a few bits of it earlier on good old Daily Motion, and fucking heavy shit, man. That really harrowing raw footage. Yeah, and, and it's like yeah. obviously you're in a situation where you're like, I've never filmed anything like this before, and you're like, you know, there's all those moral things are going through your head. But then you think about all the films that have been made that really deal with those things, and it's like, well, like do these films deserve to be made and and why do they deserve to be made? Yeah. And if you, you know, and it's like so easy just to say, oh, like a bunch of assholes from Vice went to Swansea and started paying people to take heroin. I, you know, I get it. Like, obviously that's a mm-hmm. very like logical narrative if you want to go down that road. But the kind of, the experience of it is just like, you know, really like, spending like months with those characters and like 
you know, going around to the guys, one of the mum's house and talking to her about it. And like, she's clean and very kind. So it was just all these things that you don't see. Do you know what I mean? Um, but there's, you know, there's nothing you can do about people thinking that. So I was just have to, you know, to live with it, I suppose. I've still got my alert from when I was picked to be on the Vice Blogging Network, where they, where they used to, I, I used to do a diary of stuff I used to go up to and gigs I used to go to and people I used to hang out with and I got picked to be on the Vice Blogging Network and they sent me a £50 in America, American Apparel voucher to say thank you, which was like the ultimate Vice reward. But I, yeah. I, I, I used to interview loads of people and say, um, I write for Vice and not mention the blog part. And so, so get really good access to loads of people and, and, and until one of a I wanted to interview the band Health and they were like looping looping you in with device music editor just to confirm this. And I was like, oh shit, I've been busted. You have a Rita Sue and Bob 2 poster behind you. What's your favorite Alan Clark? Oh, man. Um, I mean, I love that one. But um, probably like maybe Road. Or yeah. I like that Hallelujah Handshake. Have you ever seen that one? I haven't seen that one. Shit. Is that on the those massive box sets? Yeah, yeah. It's like a, it's like a really weird film about a guy who... Um, He's like a bit of a menace and he ends up kind of infiltrating this like kind of church. So it's one of those things where, you know, those like effortless play for today's that are just yeah. so you can tell no one was breathing down anyone's neck. Yes. It yeah. It just went, yeah, great. Anyway. Um, yeah. I'd love to see it when it's done. Here's the budget. <laughs> um, Cause you know, um, but that, I mean, I love the firm. Obviously elephant is like a game changer in a way. Um, I wonder what what time did what do you know what kind of schedule that would be coming out on? Would that be like a Sunday night prime time? Well, I, know, I know that I know that Elephant was like nine o'clock, um, but that wasn't BBC. Um, but even so, because I think Danny Boyle produced that. Um, but yeah, no, I think how it works is you would go in to the BBC and. You'd they'd say right, you know, like for instance, David Leland, who did wrote um, um, Made in Britain, mm-hmm. and you wrote the the series of um, uh, four films about education called um, Tales Out of School, and, and Made in Britain was one of those films. And he did one with Jim Broadbent, and he didn't direct them; he just wrote them. But he kind of went to Margaret Matheson, who was one of the producers at Play for Today and BBC. I think it was her. And he just said, look, I want to, you know, I've decided I really want to make a set of four films about education in, in Britain. And she said, great, go, go write that. He wrote them. And they said, these are fantastic. Right. So we've assigned Alan Clark wants to do that one. And so-and-so wants to do that one. They just went and made them. And then that was it. There was like, I think you used to go in they'd say, right, 
here, they used to open a diary. This is what I've heard anyway, and say, "Here's a here's a time slot," and they'd say, "Does that work for you?" Yeah, okay, great. Here's a slip. They give you a little ticket. You go down the hall. They'd go. You go see somebody about the budget. Then they you go off, make it, and then you'd come back, and then they just put it on TV. Fucking hell. Unless, unless it wasn't some horrendous madness that you, you hadn't. But even the fucking pitch, um, <laughs> what's the one where Elephant, where everyone's just getting fucking. Yeah, Elephant sh- wasn't, that wasn't BBC, but yeah, that, that, that's still an apps. Well, um, Christine. Yes. One about little kids shooting heroin. Yeah. And the whole was filmed under a flight path. On yeah. Purpose. I mean, there's hardly it's, it's just incredible when you look back at things like that or just like yeah it's like a yeah. film with hardly any dialogue the whole film shot under a fl- flight path so it's just planes yeah, yeah. kids are just shooting up heroin in suburban you know middle class homes in a little yeah. sack or whatever it is and like that's just put on tv it's incredible like, yeah yeah no it's an amazing an amazing um like, do you ever see um, Brimstoke and Treacle? The, That's um, really creepy, yeah. Dennis um, Potter thing. I mean, yeah. That, yeah, that was very controversial at the time, but it was still played. Yeah. Like, a film about the devil infiltrating a house because he knows that there's a, there's a disabled girl that lives there and then does things to her, unspeakable things when the parents are out is just like you know and there was no question about you know it's bizarre that like there was so much censorship but when it came to just letting people get on with making stuff that seemed to be thriving on tv like you know how the british film industry was just like lived on tv like lived inside you know rather yeah than- it was saying on the flip side what did i watch um recently that i was upset bar mitzvah boy Oh yeah, yeah, yeah! Beautiful. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, it it just plays out like almost like like today that would be like a, like almost like a Noah Baumbach New York indie or something. Mm. But yeah. just to have something just so simple as a kid who's about to have his bar mitzvah and is having mm. a weird crisis about manhood and what it and faith and mm. what it all means, just playing out and almost in real. It's like was it forty hours? Like the day before and the day of, yeah, brilliant. Just so great, so simple. And did you know that Alan Clark had he like not like passed away? I think he was going to go to America and make um, what's the one that um, Aaron Aronofsky made the drug that uh, Requiem for a Dream. Requiem for a Dream, yeah. Jesus Christ! He read read, um, Requiem for a Dream, the book. Yeah, and he went on this like road trip in america and he was like right that's that's the film i'm gonna make oh my god and he never he never made it but that would have just been like can you imagine, can you imagine making that? Did, did he say did he say who he had attached or any dream no no I don't, think that far? Was, I don't think it got to that point i think it was more just like what he wanted to do shit that's um, amazing yeah so he's he's an amazing film. i mean scum I've like, watched, I, think, I haven't watched that since the eighties. Which one do you, which one do you prefer? Do you, both. I think the film version is the one I've 
more familiar with. But then I saw it on TV, so I'm not sure. Well, the film, the film one, I think, is kind of it's better. So I kind of almost describe it as slicker and just kind of a, a, a better made film technically. Yeah. But I think I, I watched the interview with Ray Winston when he was talking about the original filming of Scum. Yeah. He makes quite a good point, which is that I think it was like maybe two years in between the both, the shooting. And he was saying that in the first one, they're like two years younger, but like two years when you're that age is actually quite a lot. Yeah. So it's actually better, the first one, because they're like super young. And that's the point about those ball stools, is that, you know. Yeah. What was the point in remaking it? Was it just a... They wouldn't let, they wouldn't, they ban it. Fuck. And so he, they banned it. So he, he the, the whole thing was like, well, let's make remake it and, and do a cinema release. So he got the rights back to the script and remade it. Right. All the same cast? No, no, it's not the same cast. I think David Thrillfall was in the original as the guy, you know, the guy that's polishing his feet and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not in it. Um, is he the one with a blonde? Who's the one? Like you're gonna have a blonde afro kind of hair? Was that which one am I? No, no. David Thorpe played the guy. You know, the the kind of the the almost like a kind of hippie guy that's always talking about with the blonde hair. No, I didn't have blonde hair. Like dark, kind of long. Oh, who am I thinking? The of? guy that refuses to wear shoes because they're leather. Yeah, yeah. So that, he's been. He's different. Um, I think there's a couple of other different. I think like Phil Daniels is still in it, and so yeah, there's there's a very it's like very minor the, the changes, but um, but yeah, no, that film was really 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 good. I might treat myself to indicate a box set for Christmas and bring home. Oh yeah, the, I hope got me that. Bring home the magic of scum this yeah, <laughs> this, yeah, yeah. this holiday season. Mm. Were you ever on sets of your dad's film when you were young? Yeah, yeah. I think the first one was um, Life is Sweet. Nice. And we're only for like a day. Um, we we watched the, I don't know if you're familiar with that film, but the beginning, yeah. my mum's dancing around with the kids in the credit sequence. That's the yeah. movie we watched. Later, I, yeah, I was on, I briefly, in 93, I, was kind of went I didn't go on to the set of naked like but I was there and kind of on the pre-production just for like a day oh my god and then on like yeah other stuff like I remember like um pretty much I'd say like everyone since then really pretty pretty much like well yeah almost everyone um but yeah, no, it's just good because it's like, you know, they're, they're all the same people that I've kind of grown up with, like a family of people that he works with. And obviously people do change, but on the whole, it's like, you know, you see the same. Like he's been working with Dick Pope since Life is Sweet. Amazing. Did you have a sense over time as to the importance of your dad's work in cinema or was it just your old man at work? Yeah, yeah, it's just the old man at, yeah, at work. Um, you know, it's like, you know, it's like, you know, he, I think like the first time he went to the Cannes Film Festival was with Naked. So, um, in his first, like, so he made bleak moments and then mm-hmm. he made stuff for TV and then his next theatrical feature was High Hopes. Mm-hmm. 
So even though he was like very well respected, I don't think he, it, his films weren't like at the cinema, they were all on TV. So he'd made like, you know, things were kind of well received and seen, but it was a different thing than it is now. Yeah. And so then, you know, films like Naked and like um, Secrets and Lies and stuff, those films became very much like, you know, world cinema. Yeah. Wasn't it kind of a similar trajectory with Loach's movies? That I think they kind of both got the, almost almost moved up at the same time. Yeah, I think Ken, Ken Loach, is, he, he kind of kicked it all off in, in, a, in a way. And why I say that is kind of he was famous for taking the cameras like out of the studio and onto the street. Yeah. Making Kathy Come Home was like a like a revelation for people because it was like you're making like a really hard hitting, you know, very real film, but in the context of, you know, TV. So and then he's he's kind of like he he kind of set a standard and a you know for that kind of filmmaking. Because to to say like like look, listen. We don't want to film in studios anymore. We want to go out into the real world mm-hmm. and film in houses and real streets. It seems to it's pretty like obvious to us now, mm-hmm. but at the time, of course, they were doing it in other parts of Europe. But it, it, in that time, that that was a pretty radical thing to do. So, um, I mean, his, his films, like you know. He just, they're just incredible. I mean, like Raining Stones. That's my favorite. Yeah, Raining Stones is. Because I saw that in the. I saw Raining Stones and um, Riff Raff. Riff Raff is great. Yeah. Which I kind of put in the same time I was discovering those in the video shop. I was discovering like Life is Sweet. And then Naked came out. I, I rented Naked and Hardball the same day. When, when yeah, they, good, good, double good double bill. bill. <laughs> um, I mean, like Kez was like the big one for Ken Loach, right? Yeah. So that's kind of the, the you know the the on and out of TV onto into the screens kind of thing. But I mean, I might be wrong. It may, maybe it was one before that. I'm sure, maybe there was, but I know that that is the kind of you know the the one um, in a way. Yeah, it's sad to see he's made his last film. Ken Loach. Oh, that's definitely it. I think so. That's, oh, that's yeah, he said his sight isn't as good, so he does. He, he doesn't want to. Yeah, also like he's you know he's he's done some amazing stuff so. for sure. Yeah, when we were talking about Sweet Sue the other night, we were talking about how you've had um, all the main characters are people are based on people you've met in real life. But I was wondering, have you got a ton of post-it notes in your head of weird characters you've met over the years that are? Yeah, wait, yeah. Wait, waiting to be placed into on onto the screen. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I've got. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like it's really is. Um, it's people, uh, like locations that can get you. You know, or just seeing like one little moment or overhearing. Like sometimes Chinese, the short film I made. The whole of that film is based on a conversation I heard on a train. <laughs> Like literally, the every yeah. single. Like, wow. So, what were you doing? Were you making notes as you went along? Or no, no, I was just, like, just, I was just listening. Right. Um, so yeah, it is like, you know, Sue is based on a couple of people, not just mm-hmm. one. Person, yeah. It's just that, you know. And so, you know, I've always wanted to put that bike of funeral in something, and you know, so you have these kind of like all these things floating around, and you think, well, how can I kind of 
But it's not even like, well, I'm just going to put that in. I get to a point in the writing where I go, well, she's going to hook up. I'm, I've got this idea that there's this character that she's going to be called Ron uh, because I've kind of thought about that character. It was mm. like, well, why make him a biker? Yeah. Uh, Combine the two, yeah. And have her brother pick the bucket and then like, then she can meet him at this bike if you're and then I can have, you know, so it's nice, like, yeah. It's just, it's taking all these elements and then kind of connecting them as you're writing. Oh, do you know what I can do? I can put that in. Yeah. Well, as I was writing, you know, like, we were joking the other night about the air freshener in the film where it just, yeah. you know, it's like sitting in a house and then all of a sudden this arrogant little smelly little fucker just goes off in the corner and you're yeah. like, oh. yeah. all of a sudden <laughs> the whole environment is turned into this like, it smells like a spring meadow, but you know you you, you can't for sure, spring. yeah. <laughs> so so it's always one of those things. Is like it'd be just those little because I think like no, kind of not joking when I say this, but going back to that that amazing girl's advice at um advice when she was saying yeah, you gotta have cutaways. It's kind of like it's like a motivated cutaway. So I give her full credit for it for for that shot. But um, <laughs> she made your career. She gave you. <laughs> She did. She's actually here. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, so you just got all these little ideas and notes and you think, well, as you're writing, you go, oh, do you know what? I can I can put that in there. Or, or there was yeah. something I saw the other day and it's like completely sparked like an idea for an entire film, which is based on one thing I saw for like, because it's, it's an action that you think yeah. when somebody that then what would that lead on to oh maybe they could right, this right. Here and then that would happen so and then you have a completely other idea that's nothing to do with it and you think well how could i make those link so i mean this is nothing new this is just writing but like it's just it's just i'm always on the lookout for some kind of or somebody tells me an anecdote and there's like one little thing in it that i could think oh could that could that be something yeah um, sometimes it is just like you know um somebody on a tube and they just you think you just they're just they're just a character you think they're not i haven't heard them speak i don't know who they are just by by looking at them you just start imagining who they are and what they get up to so it's funny you say that when you pop around for a cup of tea i remember my girlfriend came out and she's just been to crufts and she bought these ridiculous oh, yeah. like 4xl t-shirts with dogs on them and you're like i like a t-shirt and she's like yeah i'm a dog groomer i groom from home and she's talking and i was like stop talking this is peak leo material it's gonna be it's it's gonna be the film bro and the dog room and it's gonna be fucking poodles around my house and i was like yeah but yeah it was kind of funny i was like yeah but i mean i don't want anybody to like you know people to kind of not like my friends here if they hear this they'll be like don't don't mention the um the incident with the ice cream because he'll put it yeah 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 (laughs) yeah it's like um people are terrified to talk to larry david now because they think if they had a weird interaction or whatever, it's going to become the, I'm going to be the handshake guy or whatever, or the selfie guy. Yeah, it must be and so stuff. amazing to have like an output where he can just like roll out that thing of just all those things he wants to put into something, like the satisfaction of that. Yeah. Like I was lucky enough to be able to just like make film after film after film and not have these kind of like, you know, relentless kind of periods of like, down you know like you just want to just go net you want to go 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 it's like you know you hear like the other day i was in a meeting and somebody's i'm not going to say who but they were like so and so we just heard they've got a five film deal yeah where they can make five films that's it 
And I'm yeah. like, oh, that would be the best thing ever, just to be able to know that you've got five films lined up. And you can just Yeah, and, and you them. can just pace yourself, put in, you know, yeah. yeah. I oh, suppose, yeah, that, that kind of pain of, um, well, it was in De Palma was even saying that, that he says, everyone looks at his career and just like, you're the goat. You've made this, this, and this, and this. And he's like, everyone's a fucking compromise or so-and-so dropped out. And I was told I can go with this next if I want to do it. Or I was trying to make this, but we couldn't get the money for this. So then this got optioned. And he's like, you know, it may look like this beautiful career yeah, run, but it's just fucking uh, chaos. Yeah. An actor friend of mine that came to the screening the other night, she was in a, um, TV thing that she shot like ages ago and then you do something else like you know like a year later but because they kind of come out at the same time people just assume that you went from one You're to blowing up yeah <laughs> it's like i haven't worked in ages so it's just that thing isn't it? it's like the perception of you know how it all goes down yeah um, but anyway it's like you know like you know i feel unbelievably lucky to have made a film so i'm not complaining it's great but um it's just it's just, you know, sometimes you can't actually believe that, oh, my God, we made a film that's actually, like, going to be seen in a cinema. Yeah. It's crazy to even... Because it's so long where you like, oh, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Is it sinking actually, in? Do you feel good? Are you, do it you feels even... great, yeah. I mean, like, okay. you know, there's all the... the yeah, there, there's, like, you, you're sat alone in a room and you're writing, right? There's no one else around. It's just you. and you're, you're totally in it and then... Then you hand it in and you have to start having discussions about it and then you kind of tweak it and da, da, da. And then, then you kind of go into the next phase of like, you know, you get the money and then like, well, you can't afford this. Fine, I'll cut it out. And you can't do this, you can't do that. And then you got this thing which is like, still works as a film, but it's definitely not the full yeah. picture. So, you know, you've got like, stuff that you know you because like the the air freshener thing is a good example of like a moment that doesn't need to be there at all doesn't have any relevance in terms of story but it gives you it it somehow just kind of gives you a sense of yeah all right it's a bit of it's a bit of a comical it's a bit of a gag to a certain extent same time it's an insight into sue's character and so there was a lot more of just these little incidental kind of observations that happened throughout the film that weren't connected to the actual story that I had to start taking out based on budget, which is totally, that's just filmmaking, but it takes you a while to adapt to the film that it was and you have to start deleting, getting the thing that it used to be and then actually confirms the thing that it actually is. Yeah, Robert Rodriguez said that. He said, was it the film you write, the film you edit, and then the film you're left with? Mm. And and then after a while, it kind of washes away, and that's just the movie in the end. Yeah, but... and like the, the 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 writing process, you know, they say, oh, well, you make the film in the edit, but then honestly, I I actually think that you're also kind of like the film. Yeah, it's locked, and it's now the film. But the kind of discussions you have with people about what things mean changes the way you interpret the things that you intended. So in a way. It's kind of still being written. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. People say, oh, I didn't think of her like that, or I, or I thought of her like this, or I didn't think he was, you know. So, you know, I, I, ne- I would never have pitched this as a love film because I don't really think it is, but is mm-hmm. it an anti-love film? Is it 
people that can't get it together to be in love. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, it's not that it's like a kind of sentimental love film, but it's about, you know, it never really occurred to me until now that it's about people that can't connect and therefore. So that's a whole nother element of like what the film's about and that I probably didn't occur to me when I was writing it and maybe even rehearsing it. So that's quite interesting for it to, to constantly be evolving. Yeah, that's how I introduced it as people and a film about people and love. Yeah, yeah exactly. Think, yeah. yeah, that works really well. So yeah, no, it's just it's just kind of uh, it, you know when you're in a room with a cinema like the other night when you did the Rio um, screening, it's just a great time when you're in a room and like people are kind of digging it or, but even if people are like hated it, like even that's to me is something. Do you know what I mean? It's like like that Italian woman. Yeah, yeah, like, like the woman, yeah, the woman in Rome. It was like, you know, can I get your phone number? I really want to like zoom you so you can give me that look again. <laughs> um, no, I will, I will remember that that scowl for the rest of my days. That's it from me. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Joshua Eustace for my beautiful music. And we'll speak soon.